Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Probably if he wasn't influenced by Christian, the Christian concern, you and I may not be here today. We will probably be on the, in the fields. And out of his story, that is where he come up with the song, Amazing Grace, you saved a wretch like me. And as we just come, as we come to a place where we, we try to grasp what God is demanding of us as a church. You know, this week as we're talking about, as God had said, whatever came into the anniversary should be given out and God was laying in my heart that, you know, a, a portion of it goes to the Christian concern. A portion was like, you know, but now things make a lot of sense to me as an individual. I'm just going to just push it a little bit further. I am not here to talk about one political party versus another. Well, it was just interesting that as Sergeant Davis was giving a presentation to this week, in the parliament, when he was making up his mind to want to, um, to either resign from the government, they were the first, of, the first set of them that resigned. He made a comment that, you know, he was at a prayer, or at a prayer, there was a prayer group they make in parliament. And the sermon on that day was talking about integrity and standing for your nation. He said, at that point, that's when I knew I needed to choose the nation above my holy church. I am not saying you can, he, he does not classify himself as being religious. And that's what we're talking about since last week. The hand of God does not need a person to be a Christian or not if he wants to push it for his own. But the church has to be the one that would move his hand. So, you, uh, can I just, he said, I made a decision then, sitting there, listening to his sermon, just, I, I, and I just thought about integrity, about a, it's about a duty, and if, if you aren't confident in your boss, or hold it to yourself, and you hold it to yourself as the country, to tell your boss nicely, you can serve. What I'm trying to say to us is, you know, we talked about yes last week, that you can honor somebody and yet not agree what they've what they done. Yeah. I'm just trying to tell you that as God uses the hands, uses the levers of the Christian community to restructure and guide a nation. And guide a nation. And Jesus was trying to explain this to us when he spoke about when he spoke to Matthew, he said, can I have this like this? Uh, when he saw it, he said, anyone, no, um, when the Bible talks about that, uh, when the Bible says that you are, you are the salt of, you are the salt of the world, and he said, he said, he said, of what benefit are you if your salt, you know, and we were talking about that, you know, a salt has no value if it's in the bottle. You know, if you pack salt in, in, in Pesco and it's all kept in about in, in, in it will get to a point that expiry dates will come and it will be of no use. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what Jesus was saying when Jesus said, you are the salt of the heart. If the salt loses its saltness, saltiness, basically how does the saltiness, is, how is saltiness determined? Is how effective you are in an environment. And Jesus was saying, well, they will throw you down and trample over you. I believe one of the greatest challenges the body of Christ is facing is that because we have we have kept ourselves so much in the church, we are not we are not influencing anything, and as a result, as Jesus has said, you will be trampled over because nobody knows your value. And I just I just bring us to a particular scripture which we normally quote Jeremiah chapter twenty nine, and. And, and you know, the Bible says that it says, um, the Bible talks about that in verse 16. Let's go to verse 7. You have verse 7 first. Okay. Hallelujah. Let, let somebody, you have the Jeremiah's in there, sorry. Uh, but you have. But seek the welfare of the city. The Bible says, seek the welfare of the city. Where I have sent you into exile. Where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Verse 7. Yeah, that's what he said. He said, he said, the land which I have sent you to, once you seek the benefit of that land and pray for it, then you yourself shall prosper. So let me go through the slides. There are two Jeremiah's now. One Jeremiah 29 verse 7, and there's another one Jeremiah making after it. That, um, and when you go down to that scripture, in now later says, in now later says that he talks about the fact that he says, he says, he says, I, he said, I will do a new thing. That's what God said. I will do a new thing. I will, I will prosper you. I will give you, and you, and you are like. You know, he said, for I know, for you know the plans I have towards you. But before then, he said, if you look for the benefit of that land, you will prosper. But most of the time, we quote this scripture. I know my plans towards you, to prosper you and things like that. But that's not where he started from. He started from making sure you look for the interests of that land. And as you look at this scripture, and let us just end it with the application of this scripture in the Bible. Who picked that scripture and applied it? The person's name is Daniel. So when you go to Daniel, the Bible says, the Bible, the Bible talks about, it says, um, Daniel chapter 2. Now, this is Daniel's responsibility. The Bible says, so the king chose Daniel and two others at, at administration to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. I believe this gave Daniel the platform that when he comes to Daniel chapter 9, <coughs> Daniel now began to, was able to pick the book of Jeremiah and begin to pray it through. Because he had, first of all, fulfilled God's requirement that you look for the interest of the land. Then, whatever you want, I would have to. 
And Paul brings it to a very straight point in First Timothy. When Paul says that, is it First Timothy? Paul says that he says, he says, first of all, pray. He said, I hold you. That's, I am begging you. Then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for those in authority, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life. And just how many Christians are praying for peaceful and quiet life, and nobody is praying for the concern of the nation. This has always been a challenge in my heart. That Paul said, first of all, basically, before you pray for anything for yourself, you pray for the kingdom of God to influence the land. Is this teaching of Paul out of portion, out of scope? No, because when Jesus was teaching us to pray, before he said, give us this day our daily bread, he started off by saying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Then, your will be done. Then we can now talk about, deliver us from evil, give us food, and things like that. When Jesus was going to structure prayers, he said, your first priority should be to the land. How the body of Christ has moved so much away. Just in statistics in churches. When you say, pray for your, uh, pray for food, pray for any people will pray. When you say, pray for the leaders of the land. The prayers will come down. But we're just hoping that God will help us to put things in perspective. I will share a testimony to us as we close. As, as, as I bring our father to, together is that I have noticed the pattern. I am not saying, but you know, scripture is, is something that is provable. I when when God shared with me, or when it came to my you know, to my understanding more about that Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7 that I quoted for us, that when you seek the then you will prosper. I have observed that since we've been having daily prayer altar, not everybody's involved, but daily prayer altar, praying from the beginning of the pandemic about the nation. We committed to that prayer constantly. And when we were about to stop, God said, no, you continue on that prayer altar. And I began to see the impact on the lives of people who don't even know that the, a prayer altar is being held somewhere. I have seen how doors are opening for people in their own individual lives into positions they never expected they would be. And I felt like, could it be that God is saying, when you focus on the seeking the good of the land, then I will open doors for you. And I believe that probably God has seen that this evil, well, they are, they are trying to pray for the nation for over a year and a half. Let me try then in this season of change of leadership and see how they will respond in this crucial time of this nation. So as I bring our father, I, 
Adi Omoba. He is the co-founder of Christian Concern. Christian Concern is a charity that has that has done a lot in this nation. And I mean a lot. You know, there was the woman that had um, what's it called? That was a nurse that was using a pendant in the, at, at the hospital and she got sacked for using a pendant because it, it doesn't match and things like that. The cross, sorry. Yeah, the cross. <laughs> the cross. And she got sacked and things like that. Christian's concern stood by with their lawyers to ensure that that woman was always at the there was issue about the pastor that was preaching on the, on the street and the policemen arrested him and things that Christian concern were there to make sure that the city called the case true. There was a case of the bakery mm -hmm. when they, you had it on the news about when, when some educated people said, no, no, you have to do this and things like that. Most of us had read it on the newspapers and we forgot about it. It was Christian concern that took kids to court and fought for his rights. And I can go on and on of the issues they are picking across the nation. And God will keep empowering them, God will keep blessing them in the name of Jesus Christ. Please welcome our Father. good to be with you and I thank you for the privilege to serve. Um, I've been doing this in this country for over 35 years um, and I started full-time ministry here in my very early 20s and I came here on holiday just like many of you and I'm still on holiday. <laughs> um, my father joined the British police under colonial rule in the 1940s and then first generation of policemen in Nigeria, when Nigeria was called the giant of Africa. My uncles were the first generations of the military. Some of you, I don't know if you know the Adekunde Faji, Adekunde back in the, the days of Zika, Western region. And my father grew, went up to the commissioner of almost every region of Nigeria. Those days they called them regions, Western region, Midwestern region and all of that. And I ask for your apology because he was also responsible because we didn't have what you call the armed police in Nigeria then. So he was the one that set up the mobile police in Nigeria. They can be very ruthless and candid. Um, but um, my dad always says to them, that's not what you're trained to do. But um, that was my life. I was born in that western region, that large city in my, uh, West Africa called Ibano. I'm from Ekiti State. In those days, they call it Ondo State. And um, I've lived all my life from when I was born in the midst of influence. To understand what is influence and also see a lot of what I call prominence. Um, and like I said, I came here to do my own thing, to enjoy my father's wealth and inf influence. My parents were always very religious. That's what they gave us, the best thing they gave us, not the mansions, but the best thing they gave us was Christ. My mother has four boys, four girls. We are in all manners of professional businesses, but we are all ministers of the gospel. The prayer of a mother over their children never goes to us. 
thing I remember my mother most is the Bible praying, sitting on her bedside forever. And um, the house was always big, not because dad wanted to show his wealth, because he was always wanted to bring community into the house. And at any given time, we will always have almost 30, 35 people living with us. Because you had the guest house, you had the quarters, that was his life. But in all of that, I should have known that God was probably preparing me myself for such a life. But I thought coming here, you know, let me just come and have fun. I'm very much in my early 20s. And then Jesus grabbed me. We were Anglicans in those days, but my mom was more spiritual. She was very much Pentecostal. While we were Anglican, but she, will, she never discriminates. She will encourage everybody. And I used to wonder, different churches will make her matrons. Even though she doesn't go there. There was a particular church, I don't know if you know it, called, uh, it was in Antony, Church of the Lord, or something like that. Um, I've forgotten the name. They used to have something called Tabora. Oh. So, so many years ago. I can't. Um, something like that. Anyway, it's a long time. You know, they always used to come to the house. My mom would accommodate them, respect them, even though. But anyway, so I saw all those things growing up. And the reason I'm saying this to you is that coming here then and coming into the church, and I ended up in a Pentecostal church because my sister was there. I didn't understand a clue what they were saying because I was ugly. And then they spoke in tongues. They did things and I'm like, are you guys crazy? But at that point, I heard God's word like I'd never heard it before. And having heard it, I decided I'm gonna stay here. I need more of this. I was meant to be there just, I wasn't even meant to be there. The person had meant to pick us, pick us up, they turn up in the airport because my sisters were studying here from the 70s, you know, he, he was very comfortable in those days. And, and I ended up where my sister was. And, and then I thought I was just gonna spend a day. I ended up spending three years in that place. Serving, within months I said, I'm doing nothing anymore other than serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I forgot everything and gave my life full time from my early 20s. In those days, in the mid 80s, is not what you did. But I, I take you on that journey because as I got in there, I was a socialite from my teenage age in Nigeria. And when I got into the church, we had clubs and all of that back then. And when I got into the church, I felt like, hang on, this cannot be church, whereby we come and have a fantastic time on a Sunday or a Wednesday or vigil, our service times, and once we're done, that's it. And I said, this is something wrong here. This is like what I used to do in the world when we had mutual clubs. Something has to be different. If we leave this community today, they won't miss us because we have not impacted them. And from then, I'm some, I have very vivid experiences of God. I will listen to the word and I will go back and literally I want that word of God that I've heard to become the person of God in me. And I will literally sit down and meditate and just forget because I really, I was very hungry. And at times the Lord would just take me away in the spirit like Samuel. He will speak to me very clearly. I can't describe him. I will get confused when I come out of it. I will run to the pastor of the church and I will say, do you remember what just happened to me? I will be telling them, God, I just had an encounter with God who was saying this and they will all look at me and say, this small boy that I just started and he's having all this experience. God would come to me in a white horse with a wing and say to me, if you know who he was flying by, you ask for power. He gave me things in that 
they till this day they keep me going. My that's why I will say to people, your the much that God will use you is the much that you are intimate with Him. The intimacy with God, the love for God, that love, intimate love relationship with God, is out of it that God will use you to do what He wants to do. The place of the word and prayer. And then participation. And I'll talk to you about a bit more about that. Because our most potent weapon is prayer. But in my over 35 years of doing what I do, and in my intimacy with God, prayer without participation is paralysis. Jesus will step aside to pray. And after that, what does he do? He participates. He engages. He will go to the community. He will use humanity to explain divinity. Because he needed the people to understand what he was saying. So that way he speaks a lot in parables. The experiences I have with God, I can't even share with you. Because the Lord will say to me, when I was younger, I would just open my mouth. The things I saw, and all of that, and he's had to call me aside and say, son, some things I show you are for information only. I'm not asking you to go and tell anyone. So I have to learn. When you have that place of intimacy with God, let me say to you, I was coming here today, I knew that pastor was probably not aware I was coming, even though it's, it's the way God deals with, deals with me. I almost knew what was going to happen. To the, almost to the last letter. Because I can't function without hearing God. I have to hear God. I've learned that for over 30 years. Because it's not about you, it's about Him. God doesn't need you to work for Him. He never asks anybody. You can't work for God. He doesn't do it. He only works through you. To work for God is like working for Sainsbury. You don't know who wants Sainsbury. You do your bit, they pay you your money, you're gone. God doesn't do that. He walks through you. That is out of the intimate relationship he has with you. You know, he doesn't do a casual relationship, intimate. And as I started that journey, he said to me, I'm going to walk with you. And I was going to go through serious times. He had to break me to make me. If you have never lived in wealth and comfort, if they take it away from you, 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 won't, you won't even know it because you, never, you were never there. But when you've been in the place of comfort and everything was there at your calling, and then God strips you from there, it's a tough place for it to be. He totally stripped me because he didn't want me to depend on my father's wealth of influence. He wanted me to find myself in him. From Africa, if you know, you know what I'm talking about. Stewards, galore. Drivers, galore. Whatever. Name what you want. They do everything for you. And then I come here and I got my sisters. Were, oh, they, I mean, they studied here. Some of them had chauffeurs. We had everything. Nigeria was brilliant. One pound to one naira. They work hard for it. And then I come and the exit and I'm getting here. And then somebody, I, got, I was expecting to see my sister. She had moved on to things. And then they said, we have to go and take um, a red double-decker bus. And I said, that looks like a glorified Molue. You know what Molue is in Nigeria? Yeah. I'm like, what is this? What I'm not going in this. Where's your car? Where's the driver? They're <laughs> so looking at me and I said, where the heck is this my car? <laughs> but that was the beginning of God breaking me to make me. He broke me so much that a friend of mine once said to me, when he said, man, what we're going through. 
They feel like as if we're the only ones that killed Jesus. We're not the only ones. And, but it was his way to make us totally dependent on him. He had to, the old person had to die. And that was his journey. The first three years was serious. In fact, I would say five years, six years initially, my God. Money was scarce. Material things that you needed was scarce. In the 80s, all my friends, if I begin to mention the names of the family, you will know them from Nigeria, if you're from Nigeria. They used to look at me and say, what is wrong with this man? The way he's gone with this Jesus way is crazy. I had to sell flowers for a pound in the early days of ministry to help myself, my family, and the ministry. I'll start and go outside London with four, 300 boxes of roses, selling them for a pound. And I'll start like from four in the evening. I'm going to get home about seven the following morning on my feet. On my feet. How I did it, I don't know. I'll be doing it in winter. People will look at me. I'll be sweating in winter. I'm taking you somewhere. Because there are many times people want the glory, but they don't want the story. It is your story that authenticates the glory. There is a carrying before there is a wearing. You have to carry your cross before you can wear the crown. Otherwise, your shoulders will not be strong enough to wear that crown. You try to wear it, your neck will sink. Because the carrying of the cross on the shoulder is what strengthens your shoulder for the crown at the end so it sits well on you. And in those days, I said things that people would think, what is he talking about? I could see ahead. I couldn't understand. I didn't have the full details, but I knew God was going to use me in some ways beyond me in this country. He's a God of details. Very detailed God, but he never gives you the full details. He gives it to you on a need-to-know basis. If you are waiting for everything to be in place, before you are in place, ah, you wait a long time. You just need to be in place, and then he will put everything in place around you. I actually started in the community. Like you had the pastor say earlier on, served selflessly for three years in the church without any salary. There's nothing like nine to five. We can walk all through, at times three days, I'm not exaggerating, without sleeping, to restore cathedrals, to make them back to what God wants them to be. Three years. My friends thought, they thought, something all right with this man. But I loved it. I enjoyed it. I, I had my intimacy with God. The, the fulfillment was another level. And after a while, he began to say, well, now I must release you to go and serve in the communities. And my work started with homeless people in the streets of London, with my friends then. Some of you might know a place called Lincoln Field in Holborn, or what they used to call Hole in the Wall in Waterloo, underground, cardboard city. That today, if you go there now, it's like a cinema. In those days, it was where homeless people slept in this country. And we used to go there every Sunday with jollof fries and wings, chicken wings, and hot tea to feed them there every Sunday and minister the gospel. The love, the truth you want to speak, preach to people, if it's empty of love, that truth is powerless. 
And the love you want to show to people, if that love is empty of truth, it's powerless. The power of truth is love. The power of love is truth. They work together. That's why Jesus caught somebody in adultery. He didn't condemn her. The first thing he did was love. Save her from those who wanted to what? Kill her. Having showed her love, then he spoke what? Truth to her. Even the one at the sea, who said, anytime I want to get into the sea, nobody to put me in. By the time he delivered that man, he met the man again, he now warned him, sin no more. So I understood in those days, and was part of the consultation when the government was going to start what they call the Rough Slippers Initiative. By serving homeless people on the street, they have multiple problems. You learn so much about people's challenges. We, 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 are, we were Africans, and the people that were feeding with jollof fries and wings, in the, oh my God, we're not going to get there until six, from three o'clock they are in a line at Temple, Lincoln Central, waiting for us. Because they will say, this is only, what you give us is the only hot meal we will have for the week. We cook it, you know the way we cook jollof rice in Nigeria? We take the hot pot there and tea. You use what God has given you. The things that he has put in your hands is what he will use. And some of those things are things you don't like, but it's the very thing he will use. You think you are not good enough, you are. In those days, most of us did not have our papers. I talk real, I don't talk fast. I tell you what I've done. We didn't have our papers, but God was using us. We were going to those places, doing things, and we knew that at the perfect time, the one who owns the heavens and the earth, he will suffer. We were doing it and we were serving people that were like, look at us serving people who are indigenous citizens. And, and they will look at us and say to you, we're not going to, we can't, if, they will look at us and say, if we were in your position, we won't do what you're doing. Why are you doing it then? Christ comes in. Because a true leader is the voice of the people they serve. Any true leader must become becomes the voice of the people they serve. Because if you're serving people, you can speak about what they're going through. Any leader that wants to lead without serving is a tyrant. <coughs> I'm going to come to you later. I've sat with the last five prime ministers, the last three mayors, the royalty in this country. I've talked to you a little bit about that. I advise them, but I call them to account. I'm tired of prominent Christians, but are not influential. The challenge we have in the church is there are too many prominent people, but no influence. I don't chase after prominence. When you are influencer, prominence will what? Chase you. You can be prominent and have no influence. When COVID hit, I'll talk a bit about it, we knew where the influence was. An idiot can be prominent. A man went to Olympics to represent Great Britain in the Winter Games. They call him Eddie the Eagle. Some of you might not know this guy. It was horrible what he did. I mean, he didn't even, I don't even know how he represented this country. The guy cannot even, the guy cannot even stand well on the thing. It was so bad. It was a horrible failure. But he became so prominent for his failure. They were even giving him adverts for his failure. What kind of influence is that? That's what I'm saying to you. The place of power that God speaks about, when you talk about dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit is a place of influence. The meaning of power means ability to influence. That's the meaning of power. 
And that's why you saw on the day of Pentecost, when that power came upon them, did you see the influence they had? Within time, people were added unto them. Lives were transformed. That's power. I'm not against you being eloquent and have plausible words, but if it lacks power and authority and sight, it's waste of time. That's why Paul says, my preaching is not with eloquence or plausible, but demonstration of the spirit and of power. That's what I live for. I don't like to see things happen. I like to make things happen. And so at the beginning from that time, I knew that co the community was going to be my university. Serving the homeless. From then, I realized that the church must engage in what I call social evangelism. When, Jesus, when thousands came to Jesus, and he was about to give them the word of truth, he realized that nothing he was going to preach would enter their ears. Because they were what? Hungry. So let's feed them. Let's show them love and meet their immediate needs. So that when we begin to drop the food, the truth in, the truth will find a good place to lie. But speaking truth to somebody that is hungry, they just, they're not listening. And so, on that journey, we started fellowships, we were on the street dream projects. From there we said, we I realized that the church has to be same, different tools, but the same terms of engagement. The commission was still to go out and make what? Disciples. But the tools of making disciples change. But the terms of engagement remain the same. It's to go out and make what? Disciples of nations. But the, the other error is that when the Lord began to teach me about a nation, he said, you go as my church to disciple just people. But people are not the only ones that make a nation. Any nation is made of three parts. People, institutions, systems. We are asked to disciple the people, the institutions, and the systems. And when you read from Leviticus, from the Bible, from beginning to end, you see how God gave instructions on how we are to disciple the institutions, the systems, and the people. And one of the challenges in this country that we are facing is that this country used to disciple their institutions with the gospel unashamedly. From the monarchy, I was going to show you some slides today, but unfortunately, I should have brought it earlier. And I would have shown you from how the queen in our coronation was discipled, and how the word of God was put, how during war in 1939, the, 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 the king said, no, 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 all those soldiers in the war, print them the gospel of John, and he wrote in the first page of that gospel of John, how the Bible must be their most powerful weapon. That's the army being decided. You go to BBC, it's just beside my office in West One there. When you enter BBC, when they were going to open it, the statue they put in front, you come to me, is the statue of the sower. And they inscribe how everything there must come out in line with God's word. You go to the schools, they give every child a Bible. And the principal must write in the first place how that Bible must be their strongest thing. The, the world affords them, the word of God. I can give you examples. But when men slept, something happened. We stopped discipling those institutions and systems, and other people did what? Filled the gap. When the voice from the church is mute, the noise in the city will be louder. We lost our authoritative and prophetic voice in the land, but we need to regain it back. And I want to say this to you because I don't want you to think to yourself and say, what can I do? Let me tell you. You are the workmanship of God. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2.10 says, 
my God, you are his workmanship, created in Christ unto good works. And you were ordained before. And it says, work in them. Workmanship means you are his handiwork. You are, you, you, God spent time to design you. Do you know who designed you? There's no two of you. Do you realize that? Yeah. There's only one of you in your time and space. Do you understand how marvelous you are? God did not create two of you in your time and space. Somebody might look like you, but they're not you. He spent time and the, 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 the book of your life was altered. That book of life was altered every chapter. You are going through chapters right now in your life of what he's... And at the end, in Revelations, when you will meet with him, is that same book that they call at the end, that they will open that book, which was altered at the beginning, as the book of your life. They are now going to open it to see whether the works they ordained you to do there, whether they do it. Because that's why it says that at that day, they will see, they will, you will be judged based on your what? Works. God Almighty spends time to design you. You were time before time for such a time as this. Don't let anybody tell you you are not good enough. Who? Who are they? Mm -hmm. I go into number 10 from Blair to Prescott to Gordon to May to Boris Livingstone, Boris Mayor to Sadiq, to Prince Charles and Reality. I'm not bragging. When I go there, I go with all respect when I'm invited to sit. But they must be the ones that are shaking, not me. I can't share personal things with you. But I tell you, no, I go here, God, and I tell them exactly what God is saying. When you know who you are, let me say this to you to encourage you. You are such a special brand. You might identify with so many things in your life, but they don't define you. Mm -hmm. It's only God that defines you. Yeah. Even the family you belong to doesn't define you. The struggles and realities of your life don't define you. And you know the beauty of the God you serve? The way he defines you, no matter what you are going through, is the way he always sees you. Let me talk to you a bit. There's a man called Gideon. He was in devastation. Him and his people was bad. It was horrible. He was beginning to almost define himself as devastation. When God would appear to deal with him, what did God call him in the midst of his devastation? Remember what God called him? In the midst of his devastation, he called him what? Mighty man of valor. The man is saying, who was that? Who are you, who are you talking to? <laughs> Calling me a mighty man of valor in the midst of this? How God defines you is how he defines you. Your situation and reality does not define you. You can identify with it, but it doesn't define you. Jesus can identify with sin, but was he, was he defined as sin? Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. He can identify with him being slapped, being... No, 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 no. Moses can identify with being a murderer. Yes? He can identify with being a, what, a fugitive. But he was defined by God always as one that would deliver his people from slavery. And it doesn't matter how bad he was, the prince of Egypt began to now preach architecture to sheep. And when he preached architecture to sheep, they look at him and say, he's like, look at you. He must have been depressed. Mental health must have almost killed him for 40 years. But even with all that reality, when the time was ready and God appeared to him, God, the same way God defined him, from the day he was born, he was born into death. You know that man? He was, he was born into a death sentence. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you know the situation you were born into. Not so great. 
but you are not defined by him. There is a man called Jabez. Jabez could identify with what his mother's challenges were. Mom, I can understand that you went through tough times. And I can remember that the sorrow was so much that you can now have to name me a name after your sorrows. I can identify with that mom and I can sympathize with you mom, but I cannot be defined by it. That's why he said, oh that God Lord, bless me. Bless me. Change. This evil cannot continue to grieve me. When you enter the presence of God with deep conviction, things happen. I can share many with you. He's your personal father. On this day, I've come to encourage you because this nation does not want you. It needs you. You must become the fulfillment of Romans 8.19 for creation waits with eager what? Expectation. For the children of God to be what? Your revelation is necessary for somebody's fulfillment. Somebody's life in your family, in your community, in your church, in your business needs you to begin to do what God has called you to because until you start doing it, you are holding them back. John the Baptist had to be revealed for Jesus' word fulfillment. He had to go what? As a foreigner. Jesus had to be revealed to do what he does for the what? Disciples to also be what? Fulfilled. They had to be revealed for you and I to be here. Somebody's life you might be that one light in your family that needs to begin to do what God wants you to do and then everybody else begins to tap into it. And so even though the way we were then, people around me used to think, man, what is it with you? You're so calm. I said, God is taking me somewhere. I don't know the details. But I walk with that confidence everywhere. And I began from then when we were setting up churches across the country, further fields. I can't go much into today, but under Connection Trust, New Life Assembly, so much. We, we, we and I have oversight with others for churches around the globe, everywhere. As far as Guyana, this country, different parts of Europe. But I always say to them, we must also express that worship of God practically where your church is. And so in the last 28 years, I helped set up over 100 Christian action projects, from nursery schools to academies to homeless projects to rehabs. As far as Ghana, I helped them set up a Christian village on 10 acres there. 500 children every year now benefit from the last 18 years in education that they never had. A day center for the elderly there, the chapel. I've never stepped foot there, and I helped them from ground zero. My friend, rest in peace, who started it, Pastor Elizabeth, is passed. But I am like a midwife, a Mordecai. I like to help people back what God has called them to do. I don't need you to be under me. I don't need, I'm not that insecure that if I have to help you, you have to come under me. No. Some of us are Mordecais who have to help identify the Esthers, the Daniels, and then release them. Release them. Some of us are not meant to be kings, but we are kingmakers. And you must be confident in who you are. Let me say this, friends. If you lack confidence in who you are, who you are not will confide you. To lack confidence in who you are is not a good thing. Even Jesus says in Hebrew, Paul in Hebrews 10 from 34 onwards, he says, hold on to your confidence that has a great reward. 
that you may do the will of God, you need endurance, and at the end there is a word, promise. The promise was mentioned at the end, but the first thing is confidence must be held on to. Endurance is needed to do the will. At the end there is what? Promise. That's why they call him Prince of Peace. You know the meaning of peace? Tranquility and security. The Lord knows that this world was going to be full of insecurities. That's why he gave us a Prince of Peace. To bring security into the place of our insecurity. The greatest wars of this world of today is down to insecurity. Some of the maddest leaders in this world, is, they are so insecure. From Hitler to Idi Amin. When you go and meet people to Putin, they are so insecure. That's why they do crazy things. It's insecurity. Can you, see the, can you see what he does in Russia? He's leading all these people and none of his own generals can stand near to him. Anybody come, he doesn't trust anybody. You must sit that far. You must stay that far. If God be for us, who can be against us? Let me tell you something, friends. When I come into my father's presence, I don't spend time on the devil. On the devil? He's already down there. I'm aware, but I'm not afraid. Afraid. You know how many times God tells you not to fear? You know, there are Judases. And many of us at times are afraid of Judases. I'm not afraid of Judas. You know. Judases don't work against you. They work for you. They just don't know it until they self-exhaust. That's why Jesus told you that what you have to do, do it quick. When you get to a place of understanding God, you are not afraid of the enemy. You are not afraid of the Judas because they are working for you. He just didn't knew it until he destroyed himself. If you don't have the power, I don't pray that prayer. <laughs> what will take me to the next level, Lord? Where you want to do great things in my life? Start it quick. Is it, is it about me? It's about Him. And when, is the, when, when you know and you know that it's God doing what He does, what's your fear? When He sends, He spends. And when it, it is His will, He foots the bill. Every single thing that I've had to do, I've started it from ground zero. Using what is your hand. Moses was asking God for scored missiles. He was casting God for, for drones of his era to go and face Pharaoh. And God was not showing him anything. You are just saying, I am. I am. I am. To go back to where they almost killed. What am I going to tell them? And God was saying, I am with you. One with you, with God, is always in the, the job. When God was done with him, you would think that the crooked stick in his hand, he will take it and turn it into a golden staff. No. That same crooked stick that God called was in his hand, mm -hmm. that he was probably ashamed of, was the crooked stick he used from the beginning to what? To the end. That same stammering that he used as an excuse. Well, I can't, you can't use me. I stammer, I can't speak straight. <laughs> so you, you see, you can't use me. How am I going to speak eloquently before Pharaoh? And all those strategists and professional people from Oxford and whatever. You, see, you can't use me. I have an impediment. That was the very thing God needed to use. Do you know that God can take it away in a minute? But he kept it there. Because he wants to take all the glory. What is that thing in your hand that you are ashamed of? That you are thinking that God can't use? It's the very thing he wants to use to glorify himself in your life. 
And I, so I began to enjoy serving people in church, setting up all these Christian projects across, and I can take you to them across this nation and further fields. Then he began to say to me, three years from 20th, I said, I have another job for you, where now you're going to be dealing with policy. I said, policy? In this country? I'm not a lawyer. I haven't trained in that way. Who am I going to work with? He didn't tell me anything. Three years I prayed and cried. What is this next thing? And you know, he has a habit of going to tell my wife things before he tells me. <laughs> and one time I asked the Lord, I said, why do you always tell my wife first before you tell me? You know, I have conversations with God. He's our father. This God we serve is our father. He's so accessible beyond what you think. And then in the midst of that question, he said, eh, the reason I tell her first is that so you don't have to explain. Ah, I said, tell her everything. Tell her everything. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? You, God is kind of going to do something so at least out of people's mind. And you want to go and tell your husband and you say, hey, will this man believe you? And then God went to tell him before. And he's the one telling you, he's done the job for you. His ways are not our ways. And he was telling me that I saw that you were going to be used on policy, on bills. It would be so influential. She was like, and within weeks, the grassroots work of Christian Constant started in 2023. He began to introduce me to my other friends, Andrea. And almost 18 years on now, something that we started with absolutely nothing. It helps us raise millions every year to resource the church. We challenge the government on unrighteous decrees and laws. From abortion to free speech to euthanasia to LGBTQI to all the things that are coming into the education of our schools. We help us set up a legal center. The legal center, we do at least, I believe, almost 80% of the cases of Christians being persecuted in this country. And we do it pro bono. We don't charge for it. In a, in a year, we get almost over a thousand calls of Christians asking for help. And we stand with you. And I started as somebody that they would call a pastor. Let me tell you, the pastors of today and the world we are in today is very different. You will be so multifaceted. It's unbelievable. The way God will equip you and release you into places then I understood everything I went through up until now. It was preparing me for now. I mentor so many young people because I understand what it was to be starting at your 20s and not knowing your way. And through that work, you'll find out that people won't like you who are secular because you're bringing truth to where they are. Even certain Christians in the corridor of power will not like you because people like me and Christian concern have to hold them to account. But why did God put you there? We have to be the Mordecai that speaks to them like Mordecai said to Esther. Look, when God gives you status, you cannot become a statue. He gives you status for you to state his statutes. He gives you status in the, in the government house, not for you to get to government house and forget God's house. But the guy was saying to Esther, God gave you that status. And if you think that you are there and nothing will touch you, ah, it will come and then help will come from somewhere else. And sometimes we have to do that for people and even encourage others to get them into the corridors of power. And I can show you many that we supported who are in different places, civil servants and in government, 
Because that's where God has called them. And even in the marketplace, in business, in schools, you know, I can go on. You are seated here. There's a sphere that God has given you. Whether it's in nursing or healthcare or whatever it is, is where God has given you, begin to function there. Stop trying to be like somebody else. There's no need for it. The day you meet God, he's going to ask you only about what he created you to do. Not all of you will preach from here. Some of you are the best people that when people come in through that door, your smile is what changes their lives. Oh, they just love the way you receive them. And that's where your gift is. Don't try and leave it and come and say you are jealous of someone else. In the work of God, we don't compete. We complete. And when we complete, we deplete the enemy. In this work, we are not, God did not create you and I to compete. I'm meant to help you complete what he calls you to. You are meant to help me complete what he has called me to. As we complete each other, we deplete who? The enemy. Enemy. Listen, Proverbs. When a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes what? Your enemies to be at what? Come on. It doesn't matter what the enemy is. Person, institution, sickness, death. It doesn't matter the name of the enemy. The focus is no longer the enemy. The focus is what? Pleasing God. When you please God, all the enemies will fall where? In place. So when I'm going and they're saying this, they're saying that, I've said, look, let me go and focus on pleasing my God. But let me also encourage you that at their time, God will ask you to do things that displeases you. Oh, what God told Moses to do displeases Moses. He will tell you some things you don't want to do, but when pleasing God, displeases you. Please him anyway. Because he knows best. I know from experience. There are things I didn't want to do. But I had to please him. Because I know by pleasing him, everything else falls in line. We have so much materials that I brought today. The pack here will produce a lot of pack on so many issues so that you are informed. Because the Bible says my people perish. For lack of what knowledge. And then when we now give you the knowledge, you must not reject it. Because God says if you reject the knowledge, I will also what? Reject you. He, he raises millions for us every year to resource the church to do many. We have a, a publication arm. If you go into that part, you'll see the list or go on, online. We have so many books on so many issues for authors, Christian authors, to equip you. Those of you who like to go and preach out there, you know you have the right to preach. You see them arresting, we have 100% success rate with street preachers. I've been to the Met, I work with the Met police, I sit on different conferences, I was still with them on the call two days ago, about that 14-year-old boy that you know that they arrested and on. I work with them, I have. My, I sit on different reference groups. Obviously, okay, I'm a police boy, my father was part of that, but I also engage with them. Because if you don't engage with them, how can you help them? And when I criticize, I criticize with a solution. Don't critique for the critique's sake. When you come to critique something, come also with what? That solution. And when I went to them, I said to the one of the commissioners, I said, you are wasting taxpayers' money. You are wasting our time. Each time you arrest our Christian street preachers, we always win. Whether in your, in your police station or in court. And he said to me, oh, Ade, what do you mean? I said, look, we are allowed to be by law. And I opened to him, I prepared a one-pager. I said, under the public order act, section 29 JA, we are allowed to criticize a way of life. And to tell people to refrain from it. Oh, he said, oh, even I didn't know that. <laughs> and he said to me, can you please print this for us electronically so I can send it to everybody on the beat? And I did. 
And today, we, we, I think, I hope you have it in your pack. There's a red pack in, your, in that place. Every street preacher that is going to preach, I always say to them, make sure you have this pack. It's called, it's called this one. Oh, there was one guy from Ghana, from Canada. He crammed everything in his head. Some of you probably saw him on, on Facebook or on, online. He crammed it on his head, and when he went to, from Canada to preach here, and they wanted to come and arrest him, he was quoting it. First policeman came left. Second policeman came left. The third one came left, because they knew that if I touch this man. And we equip on so many things that I know. Even your children in school. We have programs and things to make you know your right mm -hmm. as teachers in the schools, Christian teachers, and also your children when it comes to curriculum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a department whereby we are helping to set up over 30 schools right now, Christian schools, in addition to the ones that exist. Because you see this institution, if we don't begin to create our own, mm -hmm. we are going to forever depend on theirs. Yes. Yeah. It's hard work, but it's possible. I don't go there to want to help somebody set up something and take it over. No. I say to them, I encourage them, that's what God is calling you to do. I can resource you, put you in touch. It's your baby. I'm just a midwife to help you give back to it. And when I've given back to it, I can come back as a health visitor when you need me to see that you are doing okay. But it's your baby. No jealousy, no ambition. Just helping each other. Boris, everything that's happened to me, I told him he was going to be mayor before he was mayor at County Hall. When he became mayor, I, I, within days, I brought him to a prayer meeting in Millwall, 12,000 people. Stood with him, prayed for him. Said, you will be my prime minister, but you will almost lose it. And he almost lose it, and it's gone in now. Listen, home parliament, two years before, I said it publicly to have one. God speaks to us to tell the nation. COVID, I have seen it 12 months before. I have been saying to God, bring the world to our knees for 20 years. As I travel the world, I see how the world demeans God. How they disrespect God. I see how they devalue human life. I've seen how they take young and old and harvest their organs for money. Knock them off unconscious because they mustn't die and they are cutting them and taking their organs to go and sell. There's evil in the world. And they will do it and they will set their face like that. They will disrespect God. And I used to say, God, cause something to happen in this world to bring us all to our knees. I didn't know it was going to be COVID. But it showed me 12 months before. Even when it happened, if I myself in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the revelation, I said, Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Because it happened so suddenly and it was in the air. But I realized it touched some of us and it didn't do anything. It touched some, but it didn't kill them. And it killed some. And when it happened, so what happened? Suddenly we realized that the world, they are not in control. Yes. Then let me say this to you. This is a part of one of the things we do. And then when it happens, the government had the audacity to say they should shut down worship. Mm. In crisis, you don't stop the place of prayer. Even in war in this country, they don't do it. That's the work of the devil. And so the church had to stand up and call the government to account. And I had to say to them, hang on, you are right to consult politics, health, and science. But what about the spirituality of the nation? You say that essential workers should continue, frontline workers should continue, but most of those essential workers and frontline workers, they are us, and they? They are from our churches. But our churches are not essential. <laughs> we're not essential. And then they were, they were talking and they didn't even mention anything about us. Mm. Then, and, then, and then, to make it worse, you pass a law to criminalize us if we dare gather to pray and worship. What insult. We might have lost our authoritative voice. I don't blame them. But COVID gave us an opportunity to stand up again. Even before they shut down, many of the churches are already shut down. Mm. 
No. Alone, two more, two more. Two dawa, taking dawa. It's still raining. Yeah. I had to use the law. And write them and brought about 25 leaders and said to the government, letter is this, remove that law. Otherwise, we are going to court. Because you might not know this. Any legislation they pass in this country, you have 90 days and you can go and challenge it in court. That's why when Boris closed parliament, what did the MPs do? They didn't like it, they went to judicial review it and they won. Yeah. When we did that, if it within minutes, I was getting calls from number 10. I have my contact everywhere in government, but I don't play games, so you can't buy me. If I wanted money, I would have gone and sat with my money from my family. I would give advice, but if we have to fight, uh uh. <laughs> and they called, and from then, within two days, you all saw they started talking about church. And we had heated arguments almost every week from then about the vaccine and everything. The England quickly removed that law, Wales removed it, but Scotland said no. We are going to shut you and we are going to court. Let's go to court. We went to court, they lost. I thank God they went to court. Because now it's in the reference books. Mm -hmm. The judge just said it's unlawful to have banned worship. Mm -hmm. He said it's against the law. Mm -hmm. You go and talk to them, you don't shut them down. Even went further to say you don't, and you are talking about um, um, virtual um, meeting. The judge said virtual gatherings is not a substitute for in-person gathering. Yeah. How? God used that woman to speak. Because we pack it and put it forward. And they lost. So now, even for our children, for posterity's sake, when such a thing hits the town, and they say, what did our mothers and fathers do? It's on the record books. We stood. That's why you saw Boris. That's why he said, never again. He came out and said, no, they were trying to push him to close the place of worship. He said, I will never talk, close it again. He almost died. When, 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 when we were pray for him, I was in a prayer meeting when they said he just had mild COVID. The Lord said to me, let me tell you right now, his soul is slipping away. If you don't pray, he will die. <laughs> By this time, I, I, I had to change the prayer. I said, hey, hey, please, change that prayer. This man is dying. Everybody was looking at me. I said, he's dying. If you don't pray, he will die. Then nobody knew. Within four or five days, ah, he's dying. Listen, when we pray in the spirit, we must also pray with understanding. Amen. Otherwise, you'll be asking God to remove something that is not there. Somebody's, does somebody doesn't have cancer. The doctor said he has cancer. But God knows that he doesn't have cancer. And you're saying, God, ah, remove cancer. And God is saying, I can't remove what they don't have. When you have insight with God, he will tell you what to really focus your prayer on. And we're still fighting. Because in the midst of all of this, this country, Brexit, God said to me, he said, son, I want to judge this country. I said, father, please. He said, remain in judgment. Brexit is my mercy. And he gave us a one-pager. He said, look at the, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, when the nations gather, they always try me. That's why I scattered their voices so that every nation is struggling under me. He said, this country, and the Holy Spirit said to me, you know the Bible said the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. I hear the Holy Spirit said to me in the conversation, gather people to pray that God should choose mercy over judgment for this nation. On June 19, we sent the circle around and asked churches to pray. That day in our church, I heard the Lord. One woman prayed, oh my God. 
God bless you women that can shout. You can pray from prayer. That woman was screaming from the back in the back church, begging God for mercy. And then where I was in the front, the Lord, Lord said to me, the Lord said to me, you see that woman's cry? Ah! He said, I've had all of you. At times we might all be gathered here and there's one person that God will just use to have mercy. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the gathering of the brethren of the saints. And that day, said, this day is going to be Brexit and not remain. And I went out to say it. Who said, what? Haven't you seen what David Cameron has done? He has put his might behind the remain. He's putting um, flyers all in the house. And then on the day of the election, somebody called me and said, okay, I know you've told us about Brexit, about mayor, about home parliament, about Trump, and you told us many things. And, and as I said, but this one, and I said, Pastor, I it. Even Farage has come out in the morning to give up. I said, he's already even wanted to take them to court, even before voting. I said, did I tell you Farage spoke to me? I said, I told you what God said. And let's see what will happen. And what happened? They were shocked. Brexit. They didn't believe it would happen. Let me tell you, friends, I'm here to encourage you because this nation doesn't want you, needs you. You must roll your sleeves and know that you are not here by accident. You are here by God's incident. I see it all the way the nation is going. The people I feel more for right now is these children, our children and our grandchildren. If you and I are on fire for God, they must be on thunder for God. What is coming? What is coming? I haven't got time today. If I had shown you things on my slide today, on discerning the times, I see things not only spiritually in the physical. Some people read about demons in the Bible. I see them in human beings in what I do. Very articulate, very armed, whatever. If you don't, if you, if you are not, if you don't have the Holy Spirit on you, in you, with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, mind, knowledge and the fear of God, he will tell you we know Jesus, we know Paul. Who are you? But I want to finish with this because we started and I saw something called Matthew 5. I spoke to you about Ephesians 2.10. This workmanship. Matthew 5 says, you are a city on a hill that cannot be what? Hmm? You cannot put a light candle on and put it under the bushes. It says, let your light so shine that they might see your good works and glorify your Father. The same good works we read where? In Ephesians 2.10. You were created unto what? Good works. The same works at the end that you will be judged by the works again. And when the pastor was saying earlier on, salt of the earth, light of the world. You see, when you read the Bible, break every word down. Why did God not use salt of, for the world? He used salt for the earth, but he used light for the world. There's a reason. Salt is needed. Earth needs to be purified, needs to be cleansed and preserved. What does salt do? It does all those three things. Salt of the earth. You are called to help purify, change things. And also help preserve it, disciple it. He used light for the world because world means systems. Systems need energy, illumination. You are the light. It says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. And nothing was made without him. In him was life. And the life is the light of men. Your light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot work. Comprehend it. Stop giving the devil too much credit. If the devil knows everything about you, so what's, what's, how is it different from God? He doesn't. 
Stop it, man. He doesn't. He's, he's, he's a copycat. Fake. He's the master of fake. Lies. God will do everything for you, secure you for a special work, and then he will reveal everything to the devil. You are spirit. You do that. No, you, you have children here. You now, you now do everything. You plan for your children, and then you go and look for your enemy. Enemy, come, come, come. Come and see what I'm planning for. Do you do that? How much more God? He's a liar. He, does, he cannot figure you out. Stop giving him credit. When you enter God's presence, go there to worship the King of Kings. To magnify, to bless him. I enjoyed the way you were praising him today. And after that, you pray for him to make you the best child of God that you can be. You can spend the last minute to just tell the devil where he belongs. And move on. Because the one who is behind you and sending you. You know, God is the only person I know that sends you on errand and goes to do it for you. And if I say to you now, sister, can you please bring me that magazine? He will go and bring it to me. He will say, go and bring me that magazine. And he will still go with you to go and bring it with you to himself. So you are not, he's saying to you, you are not on your own. That's why in the Great Commission, before he told them to go, what's the first thing he told them? All authority is for me. Why is he saying that to you? To let you know I've got your back. So go and do what I've asked you to do. And press on with it. You will see in the midst of our magazine there, there is a form. It's a form for you to sign up and give to the young man out there so that when we are informing Christians about what to do on issues, it's in the magazine, tear it, fill it, and give it to him. That's how we keep you informed. Because many things happen that you are not aware of. We are there to inform you. You know, let me give you one simple one. I can't remember whether it was Selfridges or MMS. Somebody went into that place, friends, and said, can you please send this flower and put there, Jesus Christ loves you. And they came back and told the person, sorry, the word Jesus Christ comes back as a swear word in this storm. This individual was so angry, came to report to us. Within hours, we created a template for the thousands on our, on our database. By two or three clicks, your personal letter was getting to everybody that was leading that storm. By the time they saw tens of thousands of emails bombarding them, within hours they came out, corrected it, and apologized. You see how we can change things together when we are informed? We, our work is that you are in the database, we will inform you. You know this LGBT community, they, they, they are, their organization is called Stonewall. They went to partner with Coates. Coates is the Queen's Band. And every year, they will, they will give an award, Bigot of the Year. How insulting. If you don't agree with them, they will now say this, the Bigot of the Year is this organization. And the likes of the Queen's Bank were funding it. We sent an email to all the president directors of courts using the law, send it to all of you, one or two clicks, your letters were hitting every top person in court. Within 24 hours, they withdraw their funding for the Stonewall and they apologize publicly. When we fit the system and understand it, we are empowered. This is what we are called to do. But we do it together. We encourage each other together. I'd like to finish because recently we celebrated this woman, the queen. Well, I call her my mom. You know, I had my opportunity with the royalty, not because I went there. They called me for a private meeting. I did what I had to do. Again, typical me, I had to put some fire, you know, in what God was asking me to do. I did my bit. I was not looking for anything. I didn't know that. Having done that, many people would not have done it if you are looking for something. I did what God told me to do. 
It might not be popular, but I, I, I obey the one who sends. Not knowing that 10 years later, they will even write me to give me an MBA. Let me tell you, what is yours cannot pass you. If it is yours and God has ordained it, anyone that tries to stop it, they will answer to God. And when she was 90 and 65 years of the truth, about 11 of us who are heads of different denominations says, what can we do for her? Then we said, this woman always calls the name of Jesus every Easter and December or New Year. They will say Queen's uh, speech. And she mentioned Jesus. So we said, get some authors together. Let them help us write a book. And let us title it, The Servant Queen and the King She Served. That's King Jesus. Because she's beautiful. Let us help her. She knows God, but let us help her glorify God. You know the Bible talks about people that know God, but did not glorify God. I said, our, our faith is between her and God. We wrote it, and I now said to the, everybody in the room, when you have now finished, we'll take it to Mama and tell her to put her seal and, and sign it that it's her confession of Jesus. They all looked at me in the room and said, ah, I was the only black person in the room. They said, take it to her. I said, ah, we'll take it to her. How then, how then do we realize that she is her confession? I said, no, if you don't do it, don't put my name. I was angry. And this was senior people from different people. They said, no. So they printed this thing, got it ready, and they could not sign it because not even the bishops had the courage to take it to my mom. I said, ah. And then my friends said to me, Adi, came to my office to see me. I said, what happened? And I said, Adi, when you were angry about this mama signing this book, we all didn't understand. But now we understand. I want to come and talk to you. I said, what happened? He said, you know, I could not get it through all the contacts that could have got it easily. But I have, this is why your work in the community is important. But I have this lawyer who was thrown out of church because he committed adultery. But he has repented and they won't take him back. So I used to mentor him. And I went to visit him to say, look, how are you? And, and, and then that day he asked me, he said, you always come and look how I am. How are you? And the guy said, can I be honest with you? He said, I'm not okay. What was the problem? We printed this book for Mama, the Queen, but I didn't let us print it until the Queen puts her seal and forwarded it. And the guy said, oh, why don't you say that? My brother is the Queen's armor bearer. <laughs> she takes, he takes it to the Queen. Not only did she put her seal on the front, this is the only book, I didn't even know what I was doing when I asked them to do it. This is the only book that exists that has the Queen's forward and seal, ever. And then she said, can I also put my photographs and testimonies? And then she began to put her own photographs and testimonies in it. Millions of this, millions of this has now been, so look at the quality of it. You know how much we sell it? It's at the hope, a pound. Because it was a gift to the nation to spread the gospel. They love her so much and respect, love her Jesus as well. They write her, she writes us to thank us and say, don't thank me, thank those who put it together. And then I would go to some places, some churches, and they would say to me, Adi, I didn't know you were involved with this book. In our church, we wanted to have a barbecue. We ordered 500. I said, so what did you do? 500 for what? Ah, you know, she, you let, she's speaking about Jesus, her faith. So we were going to evangelize. So we had barbecue. People came in their hundreds. And we have, as they were coming to the, to the park, we were giving them a copy. The moment they see the picture of Mama, oh, what is that they wanted? And we were using it to preach the gospel everywhere. Everyone said, oh, it's, it's the queen talking about Jesus. Use what you have. Use the opportunity and faith God has given you. You will be amazed what you will do. I was just doing my own using what I have. If you go on Hope Together Shop online, 
You can order as many as you like. It's only a pound. People are using it. Even my friends who have businesses, they say, Adi, you know my business now? All those people that like to evangelize, it's amazing what God can use to do. I order a pack and leave it on my reception table. It always strikes the conversation of what? Jesus. I bring it back to the world. I want to just use that and I finish on it because, hey, whatever place God has put you, use it. And if you have been focused on doing things in a particular way, you might have to do things differently for, for you to see the change. If I let me finish it on prayer with women. A woman in the Bible had personal problem, family problem, church problem, national problem. We can only identify with that, can't we? Personal, family, church, nation. And she goes to the same church every time doing the same prayer the same way. Then she said, no. No, I have to pray differently. I have to now relate to God in a different way. And she went to the house of God that day and prayed a different way. And the, 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 the pastor came and said, ah, you are drunk in the house of God. I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk at all. It's just that I realized that I have to change my prayer. I have to change my approach to God. Even she inspired the pastor. I said, wait, what, whatever you have asked and you're asking this way is already done. She decided to change the way she approached God, the way she worshipped God. What she wanted, she gave it before she got it. And you can never outgive God. One child she asked for, God gave her five more. It's in the Bible. One woman. By doing that, her personal problem was gone. She now, barrenness was what? Gone. She got pregnant. Baby one, baby five, up to six. Personal problem gone. The mocking in her family because she was barren. Also what? Gone. The church she went in Shiloh with Eli, that, did, that, that was the problem. They now have a leader. Who was the leader? Her son, Simon. Church problem gone. The people of Israel did not have a leader. Who became their leader? Simon. One woman in the place of need decided to step differently in the presence of God. One person and change the course of her, not only her life, the nation and the church where she was. As it was then, so it is now. If God, the same God, so shall it be for what? Forever. Thanks for having me. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.